This is This is This is 47 Laws of Society Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day it is for you and this is the first ever episode of this podcast. My name is Emmanuel Onapa and welcome to the 48 Laws of Society. I'd like to give my biggest appreciation to my biggest fans, Hamza, Selma and Sadia. Those three individuals helped me with the little intro that you heard at the beginning. Yes listeners, I know the name of this podcast does sound like the book 48 Laws of Power. This is a disclaimer because I do not agree with anything unethical within that book as it will go against my morals and my values. Unfortunately, we live in a society where the crazy views of the 48 Laws of Power entwine with the political environment that governs us today. That brings me to the topic of today's episode, politics and prejudice. Is politics prejudice? Was Brexit prejudice? Was Brexit hate? Is Brexit infused with hate? So listeners, I'm here with Cleria Mendes. The UK saw a 41% increase in hate crime post-Brexit. What do you think of that? I think it's mainly because of the rhetoric that people like Nigel Farage and UKIP used of how immigration is a major issue, of how people are coming, proposedly taking jobs, taking up waiting times in healthcare and stuff like that. And I think the public who are misinformed on the whole concept of Brexit and the concept of immigration took that as it's the foreign people who aren't the same skin colour as us, who aren't the same race as us, who are causing all of these issues. And that allowed the ignorant people in society to go out and to target those people, even though they didn't know the full extent of the situation. Yeah, I get that. And it's also stated that 54% of voters that voted to leave the referendum were white. What do you think of that as well? I think, I wouldn't say it plays a major part in terms of race, but I think it's also where these are the people who are possibly, if you look at the statistics, they are probably the people who don't live in urban areas such as London or Manchester or Liverpool. These are the people who live in the countryside in the rural areas who don't experience diversity and the need for diversity as as much as we do. So they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Most of them that voted to leave were like in the south really south of England so it's like they've they're probably been they're going off like these these headlines of these publications and stuff like that yeah and it's just that they're not seeing these people around in their area so when they see something like oh these guys are taking our jobs they're thinking let's react now let's react now to this by leaving the EU yeah I think it's just the major issue of people being misinformed and not knowing everything that's going on I think Brexit in terms of the entire situation wasn't really in the eye of like it wasn't public interest I think it was more the Conservatives and David Cameron trying to secure them secure themselves in that position that they were in but also the fact that the media had a circus with it the media were going all over the place in terms of newspapers social media articles that were being written It was very opinionistic, if you will, instead of factual, because plenty of opinions were being blasted around on these social medias and on these websites, and people were going off on what they saw. They weren't going off on the actual statistics and the actual facts. A refugee from the city of Damascus in Syria that goes by the name of Mazim Mala told The Guardian News in 2015 that Every other day there are bombardments, shellings and mortars. I've lost many friends in Syria. Military service is compulsory, unless you are studying or are a family's only son. As I am coming to the end of my degree, I know that I will be forced to join the army. I don't want to join the army because it's killing its own people. There are no good sides in this war in Syria now. It is a religious civil war. I don't want to be a part of that. It took Mazim Mala six months to get from Syria to the UK. Throughout that time, he survived the people smugglers, the overcrowded boats and the lorries, and the dystopia in Calais. 
This was published in 2015. Note that date. The referendum took place on the 23rd of June 2016. On April 2018, the USA, the UK and, the, and France launched over 100 missiles to Mazimala city of Damascus. What do you think of that, of the UK still sending bombs and missiles over to Syria, yet we left the, we left the EU? See, that's the thing, is that when you look at the situations like the crisis in Syria and you look at Brexit, most people think, well, how does that work? Syria's not in Europe, it's not in the EU. What we have to look at is, recently there was an article published on Theresa May and her husband. And the, main, the main thing that the article was talking about was the fact that Theresa May's husband's company benefited from the attacks in Syria because he was a major shareholder in the weapons manufacturing company. So we're seeing stuff like this and we're genuinely, we're genuinely thinking, are we bombing countries like Syria because we want to help the people or are we bombing them for our own personal selfish gains? And that's something that the people are talking about because if you look at it, it's, it's almost as if Theresa May did it not to help the people but to help herself and to help her family. Now. In terms of bombing Syria, people have several views on whether or not we should get involved in what's going on over there. But I think we need to look at the fact that this rhetoric that's being spread of anti-refugee and not wanting to welcome in refugees is dangerous because people are saying that, but then here we are and we're still bombing Syria. So we need to decide, are we there to help them physically by bombing or are we there to help them emotionally and mentally as well by welcoming them? Welcoming sorry I can't talk, welcoming them into our um, country. Recently actually a church called Hillsong London, what they did was they funded, they used funding from the volunteers, people who go there, people who genuinely donated their own money, they bought a house, they refurbished it and they welcomed in a family from Syria. This was a family of a mother and a father, I think three or four children. Some of the children were adults, so like young adults, 17, 18. One I think was around in his 20s. So this is an organization that decided they are going to try as much as they can to help these refugees. And they didn't do that with bombing, they didn't do that with violence, they didn't do that by going yeah. into the country and trying to control the political landscape. They did this by using charity, by using people who wanted to help. And I've seen the videos and I've met people who have worked with this family and the family is genuinely prospering right now. And I think in terms of the bombing and what's going on over there, the public are so misinformed on it. We don't hear a lot about it. And we've seen with all of the scandals that goes on in the media, how the politicians and parliament and government, they hide the facts and they hide what's going on away from us. So in terms of the bombing, I'm a person who doesn't necessarily believe in that level of violence. I understand why the UK government is doing it. I just don't think it's the best approach to trying to assist the people who live in that country. Yeah, in my views, the approach is completely wrong. There's no way informed that you can think that you're gonna leave the EU now and you're still not gonna help the people. What you help, what you class as helping the people, is sending bombs. That is not what I think is appropriate. I think also because of the fact that we are members of the public, we aren't privy to the information that Theresa May and her cabinet sees. So we don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes. We don't know the special ops missions that are happening. We don't know the main reason why they want to bomb. Yes, it's to get rid of insurgents and terrorists, but I think as a public, we also must remember that we don't see everything. There is a curtain and we are currently on the other side of the curtain and all the information is on the side that we can't see. So I think we need to remember that as well. So what are your opinions on how the public see immigrants like Mazin Muller? 
I think the public tends, well, when I mean the public, I can't generalise because that wouldn't be fair of me. But I will say that there is a group of people who do view these refugees as job stealing, who will say that they're fraudulent and they're committing crime, they're coming over here to just cause chaos and havoc. And I think that's a really, it's a blinded and ignorant view because there are a large portion of these of refugees who are coming over from countries like Syria who are well-trained, who are educated, who are engineers, who are doctors, who are professors, who are professionals and who are experts in their field. But over here, because they've come from, they've completely abandoned their life back there and they've got practically nothing, they end up working the mediocre jobs that some of the British public don't want to work. So we constantly say they're stealing our jobs, but in fact, they're more than qualified for the jobs. And these are the jobs, such as nursing, that people aren't willing to go to university and study. It's the exact same with the whole situation of people who are immigrating from EU countries. These aren't people who are unqualified. Yes, there's always going to be a group of people who don't have the qualifications or who don't have the high intellect that some people do. But the vast majority are coming over as doctors, as nurses, as teachers. In fact, if you look at the NHS and you look at the nurses, it's highly likely that if you walk into a hospital, you will find a nurse who's either Spanish, Portuguese, you get Filipinos and you get nurses from Ghana and Nigeria. Now, the nurses from Portugal and Spain, countries which are part of the EU, yeah. they've come over because of free movement and because it gives them an opportunity. Now, if the NHS was to get rid of all of the EU nurses, I think that's a good third of their, of their workforce. We've already seen there's a shortage in nurses. So how can we be saying they're stealing our jobs when in fact these are people who are willing to go three years, to, who are willing to do three years in uni for? You have people who will say they're stealing our jobs, they're taking our opportunities. But if you ask them, are you willing to do three years in university? They would say no. So this attitude of they're stealing our jobs, I think is very uneducated, is very ignorant, and it's just offensive because you're not giving credit where credit is due. Like I said prior, these people have the qualifications, they have the information. So why, why are we targeting them in this manner when in fact, if we didn't have them, we would, part of my language, we'd be screwed. Specifically, doctors and consultants who work in hospitals. My doctor who I visited today is German. The consultant that my brother had in the hospital is Italian. So these are Italians, Germans, French, people from Switzerland. These are educated people who are experts in their field, who come from EU countries, yet we're treating them as if they don't have the right to hold these titles. Like I said, if we got rid of them, we would actually be screwed. Um, these immigrants are also painted out to be benefit stealers, like they're stealing the resources. But Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs stated that the government loses 4.4 billion in tax evasions and 2.7 billion in tax avoidance in comparison to benefit fraud, which the government loses only 1.9 billion in benefit fraud. So what do you really think of that? When you look at benefit fraud and people say it's the immigrants who come over and they take benefits, Realistically, you need to be a resident here, I think, for two years. I may be wrong. I think it's two or three years before you can start claiming benefits. So by then, if these people who have come over from their countries and after two years they're claiming benefits, it's highly likely it's because of the fact that they are not finding a career. We know there's an issue with unemployment. So it's probably the people who can't find work that's going to um, help out with their family, with their issues, that are claiming benefits. And I think isn't benefits about helping the people who need it, helping the people who can't find the jobs, who try and who are struggling, who have to provide for their family. 
So two years is a long time and it gives you enough time to find a job. So we can't claim that these people are taking benefits when they don't need it because it's highly likely most of them don't end up taking benefits. And um, in terms of tax evasion and fraud, the people who end up evading tax and who end up doing fraud are the people who have these wealthy companies and people who come over with their companies yes. and trade and use business. And if you look at the statistics, most of those people are Caucasians and they are European Caucasians or they're American Caucasians. These are people who haven't come over as refugees. They're not people who've come, who've come through the EU because of free movement and opportunities. These are people who have money and they are simply evading tax because they want to keep their money. People who come over as refugees, they don't have, they can't evade tax. How does that work? They don't own their businesses and they wouldn't have a reason to evade tax because they know they are blessed to be here. They found the opportunity and they got here through trials and tribulations. So why would they risk breaking the law? I'm not saying every refugee who comes is a perfect law-abiding citizen. We know there's always going to be the people who do unfortunately commit the crimes. But we cannot take one group and paint them in this colour of criminals because it's simply not fair. The owners of the same media companies that report about immigration with these derogatory titles don't even pay taxes. The government should focus on things like crony capitalism and try to remove the layers from that as this is something that is affecting our economy and slowing entrepreneurial growth in the country. Crony capitalism allows these huge corporations to get away with murder at the expense of the majority. Do you know Cambridge Analytica? Yes, I do actually. Well, they've been in the media for quite some while now. Cambridge Analytica use military-style technology and personal information provided by Facebook to influence the votes of Brexit through the advertisement on social media. A former employee of Cambridge Analytica, Mr Wiley, told members of the European Parliament that senior members of the Leave campaign were now working within Theresa May's administration and wanted to stall any public inquiries until they have secured Brexit. He said, I don't believe Brexit would have happened were it not for the data-targeted technology and networks of actors set up Cambridge Analytica. He also stated that I don't believe that Brexit results were won fairly and legitimately. How do you think the UK should progress after the information that came out with Cambridge Analytica got released to the public? I think the issue that happened with Cambridge Analytica is one of the many factors in why the public a specific portion of the public is outraged with the Brexit result and why the public, like I said, a specific portion, do want a second vote. We're in a serious issue where Cambridge Analytica, as a private company, has used, like you said, military-type um, technology to access people's private information and then form adverts and then spread it on social media. Peer pressure is a massive thing and even though it's on social media, it still has an impact. Because if I see, let's say I see 50 conservative adverts within a week, yet I only see two Labour, Labour adverts, sorry, which one is going to be in my head most, most of the time? It's going to be the conservative one. So the fact that Cambridge Analytica used people's private information and they did use it for political gain, for political reason, I think is quite unethical and to some standard could be potentially unlawful. Now, I think, like I said, it's one of the many factors. The misinformation was one of the factors. People like Nigel Farage, who went around saying, we put 350 billion pounds into the EU. What do we get back? This money could be spent on the NHS. Now, one of the important things to realize is that people were voting solely because of the fact that they believed we could put this money in the NHS. But one thing they didn't realize was Nigel Farage isn't the leader of this country. 
He's a leader of UKIP. He's no longer the leader of UKIP, mm. actually. And I'm mm. pretty positive that UKIP no longer has a presence in parliament or government. Mm. So people were voting, believing that this would happen. They were false promises and they weren't backed up by any logic. He didn't actually say, Theresa May has promised to put this money into the EU if we leave. So people were voting on misinformation. People were voting on what was going on in terms of the scandals. And we've seen this similarly in America with Trump, with Russia. Did Russia interfere with the election? People say, no, they didn't. People say, yes, they did. In fact, Trump, um, he posted on Twitter saying, isn't this what Russia did during the election when he was talking about um, the misuse of voting during the midterm elections? So he technically admitted that Russia did um, interfere in the election, but people aren't really looking into it because of everything else that's going on in their current political climate. If this was countries in... I wouldn't say third world because that would that could be taken offensively, but this was countries like Nigeria possibly, or Zimbabwe, or countries in Africa, or countries in Asia. If this was to happen, the EU would say something, specifically if the EU had any business with this country, but it would also be the UN which should say, we demand a revote, this is not fair, or the, the UN or the EU or whatever organisation they are part of would try to interfere. Now, why is it that just because the UK is, what, the sixth most wealthiest country in the world, and it's considered a first world country and it's considered up there in terms of great powers. Why is it that we are allowing this to happen? Why is it that one million people turned out to a march for uh, the second vote and demanding the second vote? Yet Theresa May went on media and she said, second vote is out of the question. Why are the people and the public being ignored? If this is supposed to be a democracy, then surely we should be listening to the people. But instead, it's turning out to be that the government have their agenda, they know what they want to do, and they refuse to listen to the people. Yes, we can make petitions and we can do all of that. And if petitions reach a certain level of um, signatures, then they have to be debated in parliament. But at the end of the day, this is just the way of the government forcing us to believe that, yes, this is a democracy. We are, we are sorting out things in a democratic way. But people's voices aren't being heard. To make matters even worse, Facebook only received a 500k fine for their unlawful process of data. The fair, the just democratic society that I thought I grew up in is no longer. So what is your own personal opinion on Brexit, like your outlook? If I could have voted, I would have voted remain in the EU. And maybe I'm biased because of the fact that I am originally Portuguese, so I am an EU citizen. It was only recently I achieved my British citizenship, actually, so I now have dual citizenship. But being an EU citizen, it means I'm surrounded by so many people who are EU citizens. I went to school with so many people who were EU citizens, and most of the people in my family don't have British citizenship. And I think this turned out to be very ugly. The way the people were treated once the results came in is just purely shocking, like we, like we spoke about in terms of hate crime. And the hate crime was direct. You can't tell if someone's an EU citizen, let's be honest. If you were to pick three random people off the street and look at them, you would not be able to say, right, he's an EU citizen, she's not, he might be. Because EU citizen is not a race thing. It's not the color of your skin that determines it. Um, I'm Portuguese, but I'm black. So if someone was to look at me, would they know I'm an EU citizen or would they think she's probably just British? So we saw the hate crimes and that was just blatant racism. You cannot say it wasn't racism, it was just ignorance, it was blatant racism. The result of the EU referendum has truly showed us the colours of the British people. This isn't to say every person in Britain who is British is racist or is ignorant 
or is xenophobic but unfortunately there is a portion of people who decided because of this referendum they could come out and show their true colors now i think the eu does a lot for this country and it does a lot for all the other countries it supports them when they're in debt jobs free movement in fact if you look at holiday makers most people go to the eu they go to countries like spain they go to portugal they go to italy they go to france in fact in secondary school i was lucky enough to go on two two school trips to france and both times i didn't need to travel with my passport i just needed my portuguese citizen card and that's because of free movement by leaving the eu we are stripping the youth and the young people growing up of so many opportunities that we were given now when i say we i'm not exactly 20 years old i'm a teenager myself but i've really felt the benefits of the uk being in the eu when it comes to travel when it comes to visiting family when it comes to experience in education and unfortunately the older people who did vote for leave are the people who have already experienced everything the eu can give them they've had their fun they've had their travels they've had their schooling and their education and now they don't believe we need it anymore but by doing it they haven't realized that they've been selfish and they're taking away these opportunities from young people programs like if i'm correct there's Erasmus but there's also Interrail. Interrail is a program that allows young people between the ages of I think 16 to 25 to travel in the summer to different countries within Europe and the EU by train. Programs like that are a blessing and there are programs that we are we aren't seeing as much of nowadays and people are taking advantage of of programs like this for their own personal benefits such as broaden, broadening their horizons in terms of culture in terms of history. Now you have to ask yourself how are programs like this going to work once we leave the EU? Is this still going to happen? Are people going to be able to take a gap year and travel Europe? Because we don't know about the deals. We don't know about the flight deals. We don't know about anything because we aren't hearing about it in the public. In fact, I was speaking to someone who's very informed on the matter of Brexit and who has a personal stake in this entire situation. And she was saying to me how when the moment happens, the moment we leave the EU, Theresa May has not organised the deals in terms of flights going in and out of countries in terms of free movement. So there could very well be a week in any month that we leave where flights are not going in or out. No one is leaving the UK wow. and no one is entering the UK wow. because of the fact that we don't know if they've sorted out the deals. Now, like I said, we don't hear everything from the government. We're behind a curtain and it's up to Theresa May to sort that deal out. But if we don't get that deal sorted out. Like I said, there is going to be issues. One thing people realise is, after the result came in, one thing people didn't notice is rationing. Rationing made a comeback. You could go to your local Waitrose, your Tesco's, your Lidl, your Sainsbury's, and if you try to buy one, no, if you try to buy more than one of a specific item, they would say, we can't allow you to do that because we don't have enough in stock. This wow. was mainly vegetables. In fact, this happened with a lady who tried to buy cabbage. She wanted to buy three because she was making something at home. And she was told by the staff, we can't let you buy that many because we need to preserve the amount we I have. I think that happened in um, for this Muslim couple. They tried to buy a lot of water, I think, and that happened to them as well. So because of all of these trade deals and the issues that have not been sorted out, we're in a great area of not knowing what's going on. We don't know if it's going to end well for us. We don't know if they're going to... Potentially, this could end in a good in a good light. Theresa May could sort out a deal and everything would be fine. But this could also end in a bad light where she doesn't sort out a deal, we get the hard Brexit and we don't get the stuff that we are used to having because of the fact that we are no longer in the EU. 
So we have to take this into advantage. People in social, people on social medias, on websites, pages like Mumsnet and forums, they are now actually stocking up. They are emptying a room or a cupboard in the house and they are using it to stock up on tin goods, waters, on specific stuff, specifically meat. Lots of people are mass buying meat and putting it in freezers. They are buying freezers purely just for meat because of the fact that they know most of this stuff is imported within the EU and that you can't get it for those reasonable prices if we are to leave the EU. So people are stocking up because they know the, the lorries, the boats are not gonna be able to come in once we leave unless Theresa May sorts out a deal. And as someone, like I said, who is, in, who is a European citizen who, and who recently gained British citizenship, I am quite disappointed in the British public for voting to leave the EU. I think this concept of unity and intersectionality, we, we aren't seeing it anymore within this country. That tends to pride itself on its diversity on, and how culturally accepting it is. We aren't seeing that anymore and it is sad to see. And I just think that if we hadn't had this vote, the UK would be in a much better position than it is right now. And we can see, we saw how the pound dropped. We saw how hate crimes increased. Everything that has happened in result of us leaving the EU has been negative and I can't think of one positive thing to come out from it. People like Boris Johnson, they want like, with their Brexit, with the outcome of Brexit, they want us just to leave the European Union with all the perks and benefits with it. Do you think that's even possible in this time of age? No, it's, it's entirely ridiculous. It's, it's exactly like a kid in secondary school who is part of the football team, leaves the football team, but then wants to enjoy the perks of leaving school for a match or missing a class for practice. If you are no longer putting in that work, why are you entitled to it? It's like if I was to have a job and I left my job, but I still want the discount that the job gave me. I'm not working for them. I'm not giving them anything in return for me to get this back. I don't think it's going to happen. I think realistically, we could end up with maybe one or two good things, but there is no way we are going to have everything the EU gives to its um, countries if we're not part of the EU. It just doesn't seem possible. I'm going to give you three scenarios about foreign policy and I want to get your understanding of this, what you think is the most likely outcome of it. Scenario one. Voters are disappointed with Brexit. The government is forced to offer tax cuts to help calm things down. The public trust has reached a level where most voters no longer trust anything government does. Scenario 2. Voters are very pleased with Brexit. None of the worst predictions come true. Increased NHS spending, higher wages for low-paid workers. Most voters are willing to support the government. Scenario 3. Voters refuse to make up their mind about Brexit. No one political party manages to win over a clear majority. Series of weak governments and repeat elections fail to produce a lasting government. Each government has to pursue short-term measures to try and boost support. So what do you think is the most likely of these three scenarios would occur after Brexit? Well, to be honest, looking at scenario one, two and three, I currently, I think, in terms of how the voters are, are dealing with Brexit, I think that's currently what we're seeing in our current political climate. I mean, you do have voters who are disappointed with Brexit. You do have voters who are very pleased with it. And you do have voters who have no idea what is going on when it comes to Brexit. So I think in terms of that bit, that's currently what we're seeing right now. In terms of what I think the future will be like, well, we have to look at it through short term and long term. I think 
If we leave the EU and we end up with that proposed Boris Johnson unicorn deal that he wants, then we're going to see scenario two. People are pleased with Brexit and none of the worst predictions come through. However, if we end up with the hard Brexit and Theresa May and her team are not able to get a deal that would benefit us, then we are going to see scenario one. Voters are disappointed with Brexit. Public trust has reached a level where most voters no longer trust anything the government does, which technically we're already seeing elements of that today. People are confused with the government. All of the scandals coming out, public trust is at a low and we've seen that in terms of turnout. Turnout is quite low when it comes to voting. It's because of the fact that people no longer know what's going on with the government and they no longer believe the government. Now, voted three, voters refuse to make up their minds about Brexit. Some are happy, some are not happy at all. That's currently what we're seeing right now. It also continues to say not one political party manages to win over a clear majority. Now, I think that could be possible, but I don't really think it's the most likely to happen. You're always going to have the diehard fans who will support their political parties to the end, and you are going to have the median voters who fluctuate depending on what a party is saying. It also says, instead, a series of weak governments and repeat elections fail to produce a lasting government. I don't think that will happen because I think if we look at the current political leaders today, Theresa May, you've got Jeremy Corbyn, these aren't the type of people to decide to resign and to call a snap election. Yes, we saw Theresa May do it, but it was because she wanted leg legitimacy in terms of her being the new leader of the party. But I think if we have a next ele election and she is still the leader of the party, I don't think she'll win and then she'll try to have another snap election. I don't think Corwin would do that if he was made prime minister as well. It doesn't fit into that conservative idea of being strong and stable. And if we look at Jeremy Corbyn, he is literally the embodiment of strong and stable. He stands, some may say pigheadish, but he stands on his points and he doesn't drop away from them. So I don't think scenario three is something that we could see. I think it's got a very low chance of happening, even though we don't know what tomorrow is like, it could potentially happen. It also says each government has to pursue short-term measures to try to boost support. Now, I think we've seen with several parties who have done that, how it hasn't always helped them out because we have to think long term. So I don't think, like I said, scenario three would happen because it just doesn't seem realistic to me. Yes, it could, like I said, potentially happen, but out of the three, it seems the least likely to happen. If I'm totally honest, I think it's a mesh of scenario one and scenario two because it's literally what the UK is looking like today. Voters are disappointed and also voters are very pleased. Now, in terms of the worst predictions, we have not formally left the EU yet, so I can't say how the predictions are going. I'm not a fly on the wall when Theresa May is having these meetings, so I don't know what's going on with these predictions mm -hmm. and whether or not it's going to happen. We have to be honest, we aren't there, we don't know what's going on. Our opinions are presented on what the media puts in front of us and what newspapers do. So I wouldn't be able to comment on whether or not that would happen. Like I said, it could potentially happen though. So if I have to pick a scenario that I think would be the best, then I would say it's scenario two, obviously, because it means that no worst predictions come true. I would have to say it's the lesser of two evils, me being a person who doesn't support Brexit. But it said increased NHS spending, higher wages for low paid workers, these are things that would benefit the public and would benefit the economy. So if I had to hope which one of these would happen, I would obviously say scenario two. But if I have to look at which one I think could happen, then scenario one is slowly making its way up to the top of my list. Thank you for being on my podcast, Korea. Thank you for having me. She's going to be on the following episodes of my podcast, so stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram at 47 Laws of Society to keep updated.